My name is Dr. Ian Storch. I'm a board-certified gastroenterologist and osteopathic physician, and you are listening to DO or Do Not. If you're interested in joining our team or have suggestions or comments, please contact us at doordonotpodcast.com. Share our link with your friends and like us on Apple Podcasts, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We hope you enjoy this episode. Today's episode features Nasher Amaria, D.O. Dr. Amaria is currently one of the team physicians for the Spartan football team at the University of Michigan, a Division I school, as well as one of the Big Ten. Dr. Amaria will discuss his discovery of sports medicine in high school, which led him to become an athletic trainer. He will tell us how meeting a small group of inspiring osteopathic physicians during college at Michigan State University made him decide that he wanted to pursue a DO degree. He will share his hardships in medical school, such as his struggles in the preclinical years. Dr. Amaria will tell us why he chose not only to do a traditional internship, a family medicine residency, and a sports medicine fellowship, but also why he spent an extra year of training mastering osteopathic manipulative techniques. We know you will be inspired by Dr. Amaria's love for sports medicine, family practice, osteopathic medicine, as well as the University of Michigan athletic program. We would like to thank Michigan State University College of Osteopathic Medicine for the amazing recommendation. Nasher, we're so excited to have you tonight. Thank you for being with us. Thanks for having me. Can you just start by telling us a little bit about your school and your current position? You mean where I work currently right now? My school? Yeah, please. Yeah. Tell, tell uh, us where you I, work. Yeah, I work at University of Michigan. I'm primary care sports medicine team physician for University of Michigan Athletics. I'm also a primary care sports medicine family practice doctor for University Health Service on campus of U of M serving the student and faculty population there during the day, but then 50% there, 50% in athletics, seeing our student athletes and primary sports. I, I see all the sports in our athletics clinics as far as the types of sports I see in certain student athletes. Game coverage of games right now, primarily with the football team is where I'm assigned. Then I'll, I'll also kind of help with game coverage of hockey and baseball, field hockey and swimming and our, and our aquatic sports also. That sounds like a lot of work. Kind of, but <laughs> it's, actually, it's actually less work than what I did at Central Michigan, where I just came from, which, which, like I said, I just started here at U of M end of July. I was at Central Michigan University last five years. I was a team physician over there for five years. I was head team physician for two of those years. And then I was also a university health physician at the Student Health Center there, and I was also a community sports medicine physician. Yeah, so Nasha, let me let me just start with, a lot of our listeners are in medical school or in college. Yeah, I went to state school here in New York, but just my perspective from New York is that everybody wants to go to University of Michigan, right? So you're at like the school now. Would you say that's true? It's, I'll be honest with you. It's been a conflicting time for me because 16 years of my training was at Michigan State. <laughs> you know, I did undergrad at Michigan State. I worked there as an athletic trainer for a little bit between med school and undergrad. And then I did my med school at Michigan State College of Osteopathic Medicine. And then I did my family medicine residency at Sparrow Hospital in Lansing, which was an MSU-based program. 
And then I did a, a plus one OMM residency or a plus one OMM fellowship, however you want to term it, at Michigan State too, before I finally left East Lansing in uh, 2016. I finally did my sports medicine fellowship at another place other than Michigan State. I did my sports med fellowship at Ascension Providence in Novi, Michigan. So it's, it's been an adjustment for me because it's one of those things that you always, especially in sports medicine, sports medicine world is small, especially the collegiate sports medicine world. Heard a lot about University of Michigan sports medicine staff, knew a couple people who were athletic trainers in the in the department at, at one time or another, but never really thought I would be working here kind of thing, especially with my CV and resume bleeding as much green and white as it does. But uh, no, it was a pretty unique story how they came and got me this year, how we kind of found each other. And it was flattering, you know, it's, it's, it's always flattering to get even considered at a place at University of Michigan, let alone finding out that you get a job working with the football team. You know, that, that was, it's a shot. It's kind of a, it, I'll be honest with you. I tell this to my parents and my friends. I, this is only my what fourth month on the job. So it hasn't really sunk in yet, to be honest with you. You know, I told my friends I'm interviewing one of the docs from University of Michigan, they were going crazy. And even even the guys we've had on the podcast that went to University of Michigan, they just love the place. Athletic-wise, I think, no question in the top, right? And Well, I mean, I think, I mean, it's such a, across the board, such a rich athletic tradition. Not, and you could, and you could just go on about the football team and their rich athletic tradition, but across the board with all sports, Coming from Central Michigan, where I had 500 varsity student-athletes, to a place that has 1,000 varsity student-athletes and way more sports, I just, I'm learning something new about this place every day. The student-athletes are just great people. They're easy to serve in terms of the kind of good people they are. And my close friends, don't get me wrong, they, they had a little bit of the ribbing, you know, a little bit of that, oh, you're now you're a traitor, that kind of thing. But for the most part, the people that know me and the people that have seen me grow and the people who've always been there with me throughout my medical training, like, yeah, there was that initial, like, really, you're going to wear those colors. <laughs> but for the most part, everybody in my life has been so supportive, so happy for me. They probably are more excited about everything than I am right now, because again, I just had to kind of hit the ground running when I started here. Like I said, I don't really know when it's going to hit. I just kind of, I still can't believe it a little bit. I thought that it would hit me at the first football game or second football game or third football game. But to be honest with you, the football games, it's just been like almost like covering football games at Central Michigan, except I have a lot more resources here. And it's a lot bigger stadium, of course. And it's a lot bigger crowd, of course, that too. You know, So the job of sports medicine and, and taking care of people, that's the part that brought me here, right? That part shouldn't feel new, you know? Nasha, you know, I always talk to the students about sexy specialties, like sports medicine, super sexy. But on a day-to-day basis, what time you open your eyes in the morning and take us through a normal day, through maybe going to a game and, and what your responsibilities are? Yeah, so, I mean, you kind of have to approach it by the week, you know. <laughs> so it's kind of like right. I live week to week. And again, I'm a collegiate Division One team physician here. I was a collegiate Division One team physician at Central Michigan my time in the day as far as how spread thin i was there was there was a level of spread thin that i was at central michigan and there's a level of spread thin i've been here but so far so again my so my eight to five during the day so like i said i'm 50 percent in uhs university health services 50 percent in athletics monday wednesday friday 
in the mornings, I'll be at our university health services clinic, seeing the student population. There is a medical clinic in that UHS, which is a general medical clinic where you do more primary care, family practice things. I'll be in that clinic one half day of the week. But then we actually have a UHS sports medicine specialty clinic where me and my partner, who's the head team physician, Dr. David Millward, he and I will be at that sports medicine clinic in UHS. So I'm actually one half day right now in the medical clinic doing general family medicine and sports medicine. And then three half days in that UHS clinic is in our specialty sports medicine clinic. The rest of the time in the week, which is now, I think I have, I think I took up yeah, another four and Four to five half days will be in our student-athlete clinic for athletics. We have two student-athlete clinics on campus, one at Schembechler Hall and the other at what we call the South Performance Complex. The South Performance Complex is home to a lot of our uh, Olympic sports. Schembechler Hall is kind of on the still on the same road, just a little bit north of South Performance Complex. But that's Schembechler Hall is where we'll see the football team primarily. We also get the hockey team because they're in the same vicinity, baseball, softball in that same vicinity, swimming team is in that same vicinity, and our basketball teams are in that same vicinity too. So it's kind of divided up by region as far as like what athletes might see you at what clinic. We have four primary care sports med docs who work at U of M, and there's two of us at Chembeckler Hall and two of us at the uh, at South Performance Complex. So um, during the week, again, eight to five will be... Half of the time will be at UHS, half the time will be in our athletics clinics. Um, and then right now in the fall, we have football practice. So when uh, the football team is practicing in the afternoon, one of us primary care docs, and it's between me and my partner, Dr. Millward, who's that team physician. We both are the primary care sports medicine docs who take care of U of M football. So he and I alternate which one of us is on call for football that day. So he's on call Monday, Wednesday. For football, I'm on call Tuesday, Thursday. I think we both kind of split Fridays a little bit because Friday ends up being a travel day when you're traveling. But if they're home, then it's primarily whoever one of us can cover on a Friday. That's fine. So that's how it'll go during the week. Practices where we're on call for football during the week. I'm in our athletics clinics anyway, but I'll probably be winding down in our training rooms anywhere from 7 to 7.30. Sometimes it, it gets late. Sometimes it goes to even 8 or 8.30, depending on all the stuff that might be going on. And not all the time I'm dealing with football in that time too. Sometimes there's a emergency at baseball practice or sometimes a cheerleader gets cut on the eye <laughs> in practice and I have to do a laceration. So, and I'm on camp. It, usually it'll be 7, 7.30 on the day I'm covering football during the week, but sometimes it goes later than that. And then we get to game day, which is Saturday. And if, we're, if a game day is at home, and let's just say it's a noon game, I have to be at the at the football complex about two hours before the game. And then we kind of start in our practice facility. We walk over to our stadium. And, you know, then it's just kind of uh, sitting and waiting, also just making sure all the team has anything they need if they if they need any any kind of medical care from the primary care sports med docs before a game. We have everything ready as far as we always make sure our EMS crew is ready. We always make sure that we have uh, IVs set up in case we need to do an IV. And that's we have an IV nurse here, which is actually really great. We have an ortho team that's with us. We have a team orthopedic surgeon, and he brings a fellow. And then, yeah, and then we cover the game. And like I said, we have a large team here. that <laughs> We have a large medical team that covers the game. We have two primary care sports medicine doctors, me and Dr. Miller. We have one main orthopedic surgeon, and he has a fellow. We have a primary care sports medicine fellow who we put on the visiting team sideline to be a courtesy 
physician for the visiting team. We have a team of athletic trainers who are covering our home team. We put one athletic trainer on the visiting team sideline in case they need anything. And then we have two EMS crews on either end of the stadium to help with the, you know, anything that happens in game. We also have an EMS crew on the outside of the stadium, right on the other end of our tunnel. So, like I said, the resources we have here for a game is uh, tremendous. At Central Michigan, covering a game, it was me and a team orthopedic surgeon, and that was it. As far as a doctor crew, we then had, of course, we had our team of athletic trainers, but again, we didn't have all the the resources we have here. So the game will happen, and then I, I will will hang around after the game to see what kind of injuries that we might be dealing with, any acute injuries that happen during the game that I have to follow up on after the game. So when I leave the game, might be highly variable. It might be one hour after the game, or it might be sometimes three hours after the game. So when I leave the stadium is variable, even when we come back from a road trip. And then Sunday, Sunday is a day where we kind of take inventory of all the injuries that happen on a game day. So there's a Sunday, what we call our Sunday post-game clinic for football. And that usually takes place in the morning, usually around 11 o'clock. And that's also highly variable as to when I leave that. That can be as as quick as an hour. And that can be three to four hours sometimes, depending on what what comes out of a day. So that's just a brief snapshot of football season, of what life is like for me right now. Obviously, travel kind of throws a little bit of a wrench in because travel will happen on a Friday afternoon. We'll go to the place where we are. We'll stay in the hotel. We'll play the game the next day. And then we'll be back on a bus and, and plane to come back to Ann Arbor right after that game is over. And and then then, then the process starts again for the Sunday post-game treatment clinic and all that. So long-winded way to answer your question, but that's kind of what a week looks like for me right now during football season. I don't really know what non-football season looks like right now, but I'll let you know what that looks like. Nasha, for a lot of people, it sounds like a dream. But if you have to travel on the weekend, like, I mean, it sounds like a lot of work, right? I mean, you're, you really got to be committed to this. Yeah. I mean, it's a seven day work week. Like that's kind of, you know, any med student or any resident who comes and tells me that they want to be a team physician, you know, at this level. And again, it was even worse at Central Michigan because I had a lot more responsibility at Central Michigan because I was one of, sometimes I was one of two primary care sports med doctors and a lot, and two of the five years I was there, I was the only one. So you have to constantly be plugged in. You have to be constantly available for your athletic training staff. Our athletic trainers are a direct extension of the physician staff, and we are all kind of one. I mean, I started in athletic training. That's how I got my start. I'm still a, I'm actually still a licensed athletic trainer in the state of Michigan. I, I kept those credentials up. I have a lot of respect for athletic trainers and the work that they do because I, I used to be one. We are a partnership. I never look at them as I'm the physician and you're an athletic trainer. I always look at we are part of the sports medicine team that is helping our student athletes stay on the field. So you have to be accessible to them. And if you are a team physician and you're not accessible to your athletic trainers, then they're going to, they're going to find a way to get somebody who is going to be accessible. <laughs> so that's one part of it. The other part is knowing that the games and everything you see on TV, that's, that's the part that you're like, Oh, Hey, I'm on TV. You can see me on the sideline. Like I have, I have friends of mine texting me pictures of me when they see me on the sideline all the time. But that's the, that's the fun part. You know, it's, it's also when you get to this level again and not saying central Michigan wasn't high stress, that was also high stress over there too. But this gets pretty high stress when you're in division one, especially in division one, power five conferences, but I would say anytime you're a collegiate division one, or I, I would say anytime you're a collegiate team physician or whether you're a pro physician, or even when you're covering, I think even when you're covering high school as a team physician, uh, you get pressures, you get pressures from parents, you get pressures from the athlete themselves. 
you get right. pressures from the community, you get pressures from, you hopefully don't get pressures from, you're, you're going to get coaching pressures here and there, but coaching pressures now in 2022 is a lot different than what coaching pressures used to be when I was an athletic trainer in the early 2000s. Even yeah. So that's all the stuff that if you want to be a team physician at the collegiate level, you have to factor in a lot of these non-glamorous things about the job. I've had colleagues who get excited about being a team physician. They've, be, they've had the opportunity to become a team physician. And then they get told, okay, you have to cover soccer on a Wednesday night. And they're like, no, I, I got a wife and kid at home. I, I got to go home. Like, well, that's not what you signed up for, you know? So, and again, I, I can say that because right now I don't have a wife and kids. I would like, everybody's after me to get those things, but, <laughs> and I, and I do want to get those things for myself. And maybe those, maybe my priorities and my focus will shift a little bit. But again, I would still think that if I had that going on and I had a supportive partner and even, and even my colleagues who have spouses who are very supportive, who allow them to do this job, they know that they're not, there's going to be evenings where they're not home. I was just talking about my colleague who's the head team physician. Now he has two kids at home, but I think he, again, I think his wife understood because he's been doing this for 15 years now that, Hey, there's going to be nights where he comes home late because he's covering football that day and football game days. He's going to come home one, to two hours after the game, whenever that is. So you have to factor on, you have to factor in all those things. And if that grunt work doesn't sound appealing to you, and if you're only kind of in it to cover, you only want to cover football, you only want to be on the sports that are on TV, you only want to be at the big universities, like that's not that then you're kind of doing it for the wrong reasons, because you have to also treat the non, you have to treat the non-revenue sport athlete, you have to treat the walk-on field hockey student athlete, and the walk-on tennis athlete, you have to treat them with the exact same amount of care, and as good a care as possible as though they are your family member like you would the football team okay so that's another part is it shouldn't be sport dependent it shouldn't be glamour dependent it shouldn't be which coach is a pain to work for and which coach is great to work for you should be providing the same high level of care all the time across all sports whether they are the starting quarterback whether they are the walk-on tennis player it should be always the same and i would like to think that that's something that's a mentality that's helped me in my career. And that's something that I learned from my mentors in Michigan State was treating everybody like you would treat the uh, member of your family, no matter who they are, no matter where they come from, no matter what their background, no matter what their sport, no matter level on the team, anything like that. It's just always providing high level of care, no matter what. So it's one of those things that, you know, if, if you're not doing it for the right reasons, you kind of get found out right away. But if you're doing it for the right reasons and you're, and you're workaholic and you can handle it, then then, you know, hopefully, hopefully you're doing okay in this, in this world. But uh, to answer your question, you don't have to go into being a collegiate team physician in sports medicine. You can take any number of paths. I think that's, I think that's the sexy thing about sports medicine. You know, you were talking about it being a sexy choice. There's so many different varieties of types of sports medicine doctor you can be. And even in the traditional family practice setting, I, I know a number of colleagues who work in a family practice office and they specialize in sports medicine, but they still do family practice 50% of the time and they still do sport and they do sports medicine 50% of the time. And that job is from eight to five. And then they might cover a high school on a Friday night, you know, and during football season, and that's the job. And you can make such an impression on people's lives just by doing that. You can be a tremendously admirable, well-trained, well, well-read, well-educated sports medicine physician doing that job too. So, and that's an attractive thing that when I get tired of doing all this uh, travel and being on sidelines and all this other stuff, like 
that's I know that that's an option that's always there for me, you know. So again, you don't have to do this lifestyle of sports medicine. You can have a very you, you you can take it a number of ways and I think that's a very attractive part of this field. That's super inspiring, Nasha. And I think half of what you said is sports medicine specific and I think the other half of just treating patients as if they were your family is mm-hmm. great for any specialty, any physician, any any doctor. So thank you for all of that. Just change gears a little bit. Obviously, this is a journey and you gave us the 30 second highlight, but just going a little more into depth, can you tell us when you decided you wanted to be a doctor and how you chose your college and sort of how you began began your journey? Yeah. So I was fortunate. I grew up in the small town of Sturges, Michigan, which is in the southwest corner of Michigan, town of about 10,000, 11,000 people. My dad is a family practice trained doctor, but he's also a general surgeon. He did two residencies during his training. He trained in England. I was born in London, England before I came to Michigan when I was three. So in Sturgis, he had a family practice. He had a private practice, family practice office, but he also did general surgery. So I looked at him and kind of worker he was and the kind of things he was doing. And he wanted to always be a kind of a all-encompassing, old-school kind of one-stop shop physician who can do surgery. He delivered babies. He did C-sections. He also did traditional family medicine. So I was very fortunate to to grow up in a small town where he is able to do so much. And he had so many patients who admired him and loved him. And But then my high school had an athletic training program. And I didn't know what athletic training was. I didn't know what, what an athletic trainer was and all that. But then I found out about it. And it kind of sounded up my alley of, hey, I like sports. But I also kind of like medicine and I kind of like science. And I don't really know too much about rehab, rehabilitation medicine, but this might sound like something that might be cool for me to get involved in. So that high school has actually won awards from the state of being a, recognized as a, a leader in kind of athletic training education. So I was a part of our athletic training team in, in my high school. I was a student athletic trainer. And then I went to athletic training summer camps, one at Grand Valley, one at Michigan State. And I was dead set. I was not going to be a doctor in high school. I was. I found out that I liked athletic training. I was good at it. I was good at taping an ankle. I was good at doing a rehab for an ankle. I was good at evaluating an injury. So Michigan State just happened to keep on taking one student from, by, by coincidence, it just happened that there was a, a chain of students from my program that just went to Michigan State every year to do athletic training. So I stayed in contact with the athletic trainers when I met them at my summer camp and they always kept saying, hey, do you want a campus tour? How is your semester going on? So I kind of stayed in touch with them, and it just became a natural fit that I was going to go there for athletic training. So I, I went there, and I majored in kinesiology with athletic training specialization. And then that is when I, my first assignment was men's basketball as a student athletic trainer, and they had just got off of winning a, a national title of Michigan State. You know? So uh, they were two years removed from that. So it was kind of, oh, hey, you're going to go work for Tom Izzo and you're going to be a student athletic trainer for his team. So it's kind of like, whoa, hey, that's, uh, you know. But through athletic training at Michigan State, I got to meet our team physicians we had. I didn't know what osteopathic medicine was. I, I was never around any DOs around my my dad. Like, I didn't know. I didn't. I think my dad had DO colleagues, but I didn't know what DO versus MD was. I didn't know what osteopathic manipulative medicine was. I didn't know what OMM was. We had doctors coming into the training room to do OMM on the athletes. One of my biggest mentors, Dr. Lynn Brum, you know, professor emeritus at MSU Com, who's now since passed, 
he used to come in the training room and every Tuesday he would have a line out the door of the clinic room where he would be doing OMM. And I, one day I just stumbled in and I, and I scribed for him and I'm looking at this sweet silver haired old man and he's putting his hands on our student athletes in Michigan state. And he's helping their back pain with just some telling them to push and pull and push and pull. Like I was, I couldn't wrap my head around it. It was, I thought he was doing some kind of voodoo magic, you know? So I, I kept on shadowing him. I kept on being in the room when he showed up. I kept on scribing for him. And I, I got to, again, I got to hang around Dr. Jeff Covan, who's the head team physician at Michigan State. And he was a team physician for men's basketball. And I got to kind of see, I, I didn't know what the specialty of primary care sports medicine was. So as I kept on advancing through my athletic training program major, finally, I think it was one day, I credit like two or three of them who I always followed around and bugged and pestered and asked questions. I credit two or three of our team physicians and Dr. Brum included, Dr. Covan included, of finally saying to me, you know, if you like this stuff, if you find it interesting, why don't you try going to seek entrance into osteopathic medical school? And I kind of looked at them and I'm like, you're crazy. I, I hate taking tests. I'm a, I'm a bad test taker. No, that's a bad idea, <laughs> you know. But then kind of just became, okay, you don't know what you can do until you try one of those things. So I made the decision about halfway through my undergrad where I said, okay, I'm going to load up my summer semesters and I'm going to take all the pre-med requirements that I'm kind of missing in my major and we're going to try it out. We're going to see how it works. Um, I knew I was a little bit behind as far as all the classes I needed. So the head athletic trainers at, at Michigan State, they said, hey, why don't you come work for us for a year in your fifth year? Why don't you take a fifth year? You can still work as a certified athletic trainer intern with our football team and tennis teams. And uh, then you can finish up whatever class you need to take. So in that kind of, I graduated, I took my athletic training certification exam. I then took some, again, some courses to finish out my pre-med requirements in that fifth year. I served as the athletic training intern for football, tennis, and dance. I did absolutely horrible on the MCAT that year. Will not tell you the score. I'm probably going to take that to my grave. But uh <laughs> Then I made it, you have to make a choice. I made a choice that, all right, I'm going to put, I'm going to give one more solid effort into this. So then that the following year, I worked as a high school athletic trainer um, for a high school just outside of Lansing. And I did a little better on the MCAT that year. And MSU Com, MSU College of Osteopathic Medicine is where I always wanted to be. That was my number one choice. I think I exclusively applied osteopathic because I wanted to be a DO. I wanted to learn osteopathic manipulation. And then, like I said, that year did a little better, got an interview nice and early in the year. And I got my admission to MSU Com early that year. So I was able to work the rest of the year as an athletic trainer for that high school before I had to leave them at the end of April, and get ready for med school. So that's the way it kind of happened. It kind of morphed like that. It wasn't easy, like I said, because I was never a good test taker. I still am not. I knew I was going to have to work a little bit harder to do average on tests, you know, uh, kind of like my my med school counterparts who are pre-med majors or whatever. But, uh, you know, it had worked out. And uh, yeah, I entered MSU Com. I think, uh, summer of 2006. That's when I, that was my first semester. So yeah, that's how it kind of developed. Yeah, that's a great story, Nasha. Can you tell me, was your dad supportive of the DO idea? And then can you tell us a little bit about medical school? No, my dad was ecstatic that I found my own way to it. Like he, he was actually, he, I mean, both my parents have always been very supportive. They loved the fact that I was an athletic trainer. They themselves didn't know what an athletic trainer was until I had to 
tell them and what my program was in my high school. And then they saw me doing it at Michigan State. They saw that I enjoyed doing it and I was good at it. Um, so they had to learn about that field. But, you know, I think I'll always say this about my family, like you hear, and I'm Indian, okay, so and I'm not trying to be stereotypical or racist or anything like that. But you always hear about Indian parents pressuring their kids to be doctors, pressuring their kids to be engineers or whatever else, right? At least I, I mean, that's what that's always what I would hear, you know. I was very thankful in this that I'm sure that my parents, yeah, always wanted me and my sister to always follow in my dad's footsteps, but they never, they never made us feel less than if we didn't do that. And I think the day that I came to them and I said, "Hey, I'm going to try to do this," they were like, "All right, you know, you give it your best shot, and we'll always be there, and you can keep on trying, and you know, you make the call on when you're done trying to do this." Didn't know if it was going to work out. Didn't know if I was going to get in. I wasn't a 4.0 student at all. So they've been nothing but supportive. And then in, in medical school, that's where my dad and mom probably went over time as far as like the support. Because there were many hard times for me in med school. I would dare say some of the darkest moments in my life occurred in med school because I struggled. I struggled a lot. Again, I, I kind of went from being on doing undergrad and then I worked for two years as an athletic trainer. And then I went to medical school. And so I didn't really have that. I'm in my pre-med major and I applied and now I'm going to go to medical school. No, I, I worked for two years as an athletic trainer. And again, I, I was a part of kinesiology athletic training. The tests, no offense to that profession, the tests were a little bit different than what my pre-med counterparts had to do you know, for their major. So I had to learn how to be a student to the highest level that I've ever had to be a student. I've had to learn how to take a test to the highest level I had to take it, ever had to take a test. That took some time for me to figure out. And I was very fortunate to go to a place like MSU Com that took struggling students and tried to give them avenues to get better. And the school provided me with, there is a doctor there. Her name is Mangala Stasovic. She still is there at MSU Com helping students get better with their test-taking strategies, get better with their studying strategies, learn what works for them, learn what type of brain thinker they are and how they absorb information. So I was very fortunate that I was at a place that, yeah, they saw me struggling. And yeah, I met with a few, I met with the committees that you don't want to meet with when you're a struggling student, but they gave me avenues to get better. And I took advantage of any of those opportunities I could get. And like I said, I wasn't going to be valedictorian. But if I was passing and if I was doing well and if I was staying in the middle of the pack in the struggling part, for me, the struggling part was always going to be the first two years of medical school, was always going to be the test-taking years, you know? And then, of course, the the board study, the boards and the steps, those were going to be hard too. But I knew I was going to struggle in those first two years. But one funny story is when I met with the committee that you don't want to meet with, the Committee of Student Evaluation. I think it was the second time I met with them. I won't say who it was. I'm not going to incriminate them on this. But, you know, one of the higher ranking people in the school kind of looked at me and said, you know, you're barely doing this. You're barely surviving in this class. And you say you're passing, you're doing well, but you're barely surviving here. Why should we believe you can do anything your classmates are doing? I'm always I'm going to remember his words word for word as though he just said them yesterday. And I kind of looked at him and I kind of was, again, you're. You're sitting in front of a room of all these doc, uh, these professionals and doctors and deans, and and you're scared to death, and you're wondering if they're going to kick you out. And uh, and I kind of said, if I survive these first two years and I get into the hospital, I'll show you I can do anything my classmates are doing. 
because I knew my strengths lied in patient care. I knew my strengths lied in actually applying the knowledge when it counts, when when I'm able to ex- talk to a patient about medication options and side effects and all that and, and pharmacology and then or a pathological process. I know that what I'm studying and what I'm learning and what I'm doing, that's when it's going to come out. I knew it's not going to come out a lot of times for me on a multiple choice test, but it's going to come out when it when it matters. And I knew that I know how to put my hands on somebody. I know how to talk to somebody. I know how to listen. I know how to actively listen. I know how to work together with somebody to achieve a common goal. Like These are all things that I learned by being an athletic trainer. And that's what made me a good athletic trainer. So I, that's why I confidently said, and kind of a very surprisingly, I don't think I was con- cocky. I don't think I was air. I think I was just very like surprised. I was like, get me to the hospital and I'll show you I can do what my peers are doing. And that's what happened. You know, and that's what happened. I, I survived those first two years, got into year three, got into year four, still stumbled a little bit on some tests at that point, but I recovered. I recovered and I survived. And that's what that's what the name of the game was there. So so to transition to your second question, medical school for me was was very tough. But yeah, I had fun with my friends and I met some great friends and I still have a lot of lifelong friends to this day. A lot of lifelong friends who are proud of me when they see me on TV, they still send me a text and all that. But and even professors, professors I had who will do that. But um, you know, that was really a time that tested my mettle as far as how badly I wanted this. And and again, when I say wanted this, I went to medical school. I decided to go to medical school for a very specific reason. And this was this was something that I knew I was in the minority of. I knew that I I knew exactly what I wanted to do going into medical school. I wanted to be a primary care sports medicine doctor. I want to go to a family medicine residency that makes me a very well-rounded family medicine doctor. So I want to be good at everything. I want to be good at delivering babies. I want to be good at mental health. I want to be good at the geriatric medicine. I want to be good at the internal medicine. Like I wanted to, the pediatrics. I wanted to be good at just a well-rounded family medicine doctor like my dad is. And then I wanted to do a plus one OMM year. And then I want to do a sports medicine fellowship. And I said, nothing is going to deter me from this path. This is what I want to do. I flirted a little bit with doing sports psychiatry because one of my mentors is is a sports psychiatrist. But I knew that I could do that as a part of being a primary care sports medicine doctor. I could do the sports psychiatry and the mental health piece in, in doing primary care sports medicine there too. So I, like I said, I was an odd duck in the sense that I knew exactly what I wanted to do. And all of my classmates were like, how do you know exactly what you want to do? Like, you haven't even like, no, I know exactly what I want to do. Uh, I just knew that I had to survive certain hard parts. And uh, med school was a very big hard part for me. And I'll be quite frank and honest with you and anybody who's even listening to this. I didn't know I was graduating on time at MSU.com until three weeks before graduation. And while all of my classmates are now on their vacations and they've been done with their clinical rotations and they're just waiting for graduation to roll around, I was waiting to figure out if I was going to pass my last shelf to figure out if I was going to pass. Like that was nerve wracking to know that there was a chance that I might not be, I might walk, but it'll be a walk in ceremony only. It won't be for real, you know, and it wasn't, it didn't have, I didn't know for sure that it was going to be for real until three weeks before graduation. And I don't think I've said that to anybody because I think it was one of those things that I didn't want to admit to anybody. But now, now I'm fine saying it because again, I, I, everything that happened happened for a reason, you know, and it made me stronger a little bit. So 
that's what it was like for me. Again, another long-winded answer to your to your questions there. <laughs> no, but Nasha, thank thank you for sharing all of that with us because I think the beauty of having you on the podcast is it's very easy to see you on TV as you're saying and see how far you've come. But sharing the the difficulties, I think, are important to all of the rest of us that have that have been through difficult times also. And I really appreciate that. I'm sure the listeners do also. Can you tell me you are laser focused? You know you want to do sports medicine. You get through osteopathic school. You brave through the challenges. You know you want to do primary care and then go on to sports medicine. The part that I don't follow that maybe you could explain to me and our listeners is where does that extra year, you already have a long path in front of you. Where does that extra year of neuromuscular medicine or OMM, why was that? on the menu why did that need to come before the sports met you already committed to years you're adding an extra year obviously you felt that that was indispensable why yeah no i think that that goes to the exposure i had to it in athletic training when again when i would go in the room with dr brum when i would see him do omm when i would see dr Covan do omm when I would see Dr. Gilmore, one of our OMM professors, who's also sports medicine trained, she was one of my small group instructors at MSU Comp. She would work frequently with the hockey team. like, And I had an aptitude for OMM. That was the one class that I had an aptitude for in medical school. Like That was the one class that my that my friends were asking me, hey, help me study the sacrum, you know, help me do that. So that was the one area that I felt smart, you know, and everybody else is really good at biochem and everybody else is really good at neuro and I'm really good at OMM, you know, so the desire to be board certified in OMM. And again, I know that you can go through osteopathic medical training and you don't have to be board certified in, in OMM, NMM to do OMM and to build for it. No, of course not. I think a lot of it was I wanted to get as much from OMM as OMM had to offer me. <laughs> and I wanted to, there was a part of me that was like, hey, I, if I'm a team physician, you know, especially if I'm a team physician in Michigan State, you know, there'll be avenues for me to train. There'll be avenues for me to teach at MSU Com if I do this. You know, there'll be avenues for me to teach maybe in OMM. There'll be avenues for me to teach as a part of the family and community medicine uh, program. So I looked at it as maybe I might want to teach one day, maybe, uh, you know, in an osteopathic medical school. But also, again, Dr. Brum, who's a, you know, was a professor emeritus at MSU Com who has a beautiful plaque with his a painting of him right outside of our lab that was money that was donated from a hockey player that he helped by doing OMM on him, professional hockey player, sits outside of that lab or sits inside of the lab. And I would see that painting every day. And I was like, that's my mentor. That's the one I got to work with. I looked at as part of take the teachings that he taught me. I take the teaching that Dr. Lisa DeStefano, who who now kind of you know writes that Greenman book on, on principles of manual medicine. Like I take all these things that all of these professors had taught me and I wanted to it to I wanted it to culminate in everything that I do, and uh, so that's why it was always like, of course I'm going to do this year because that one year, because that's a way for me to not only honor, you know, the people who have given me so much, but also at the same time is again, I want to learn everything that this part of the field has to offer, and when you're doing inpatient rounds as a family medicine resident in the hospital, and you have a constipated patient, you know, on the floor. And yeah, you're going to write for the bowel, bowel program and you're going to, the nurse is going to give them their stool softeners and all that. But the fact that you can also help them with your hands, doing lymphatic techniques to help 
somebody who's constipated. <laughs> like I've done that before doing OMM rounds or doing uh, an OMM consult service when you're an OMM resident and you get consulted to the ICU for somebody who's coming off of an event and you're doing, again, lymphatic techniques to help them, help them breathe, you know, help their chest expand. Like, and the fact that you're doing this, not with drugs, you know, you're doing this with your hands. <laughs> that to me is, I think, a tremendous power, you know, and I, I think that power, I would, it's unfortunate that a lot of DOs who graduate from osteopathic medical school, they kind of leave behind that power. I think the stat is like maybe 18% or 20% of DOs who graduate will continue on with OMM training. And that's, that's sad to me. Like I'm not, I'm not trying to rag on any DOs out there. I'm just trying to say that, Hey, we've get, we've get taught this skill and I get it. Sometimes our specialty and the time we have in clinic and everything that doesn't allow us to do it. But um, if you ask me if, if I can treat somebody's pain with my hands versus prescribing a med that I don't want to prescribe them at all, that that was always going to be a, that's always going to be an option for me. And and you know and and you you see that when when I go to a place like Mount Pleasant, Michigan, working at CMU College of Medicine, which is an MD school, uh, and I'm working with athletes who have never encountered a DO who does OMM before. And the mart, something that I looked at when I left CMU was how many athletes came to me for OMM in that last year. And that's when it, it kind of, it, it lets you know that you made an impact a little bit. And it lets you know that you got a place a little bit osteopathic educated. They became a little osteopathic savvy, the patient population that I was working with. And that's a, that's a nice thing. That's a, it makes you reassured that you did things the right way. You did things you want to do and, and, and you help people. You help people by offering this service to them. So that's why that year was important to me. That's why that year had to fit in there somehow. Was it a necessary year to do OMM? No, but to honor it as much as I wanted to honor it, but also to tap from it as much as I want to tap from it, I thought it was completely necessary. Yeah. Nasher, sometimes the students ask me if I think that osteopathic medicine as a generality is missing something. And, and I tell them that, you know, sometimes I think we're missing pride in our profession. And I think you embody pride in the osteopathic profession. And I thank you for all of those sentiments. My last question. Th and again, thank you so much for being with us. I, I This is one of my favorite interviews. I think that we've done <laughs> you great. Can you give us one piece of advice that you've been given throughout your career, whether that's from someone in high school, one of your DO mentors at Michigan, someone who's at University of Michigan with you now, one piece of advice that you feel was super important, was deep and helped you along your journey and that you would like to pass on to other students? Yeah, it might be two-parted a little bit. The first one is obvious in my story. It's uh, never give up. I, I mean, I, I make fun that... <laughs> That John Cena, the wrestler, keeps on. He has this, you know, you can't see me, and, and he does the never give up thing. But I, I tell people, hey, I had the never give up thing before John Cena. That, that's crazy. But no, I think never give up has always been a thing with a various amount of people in life. But there were plenty of times where I could have just said, "This is too hard, and I need to do something else now." One of my athletic training advisors. Again, I'm not going to name people, but. And they probably don't even know they said this, but I remember everything. I'm, I'm kind of, this is what, this is a bad thing about me. I hold grudges and I, and I don't let people forget when they doubted me. That was, that's a bad thing. That's probably something I'll need to get worked on mental health wise. But I, 
when I was uh, again struggling a little bit and I was in taking those extra classes in the fourth, fifth year, just didn't do well on the MCAT, trying to figure out what my next move is, trying to see if I'm going to go to grad school and athletic training if med school doesn't work out. One of my athletic training advisors kind of said to me, hey, you know, you might be spinning your wheels trying to get into medical school. And I don't think they meant it like bad. I don't think they meant it in a, in a militia, anything like to make me feel horrible, just trying to make me probably be realistic with things as far as my grades and capabilities and all this other stuff. But I kind of heard that statement. And I was like, mm, you know, whatever, I'm going to keep going. I'm going to show you. <laughs> Met with the committee of student evaluation multiple times at, at MSUCOM when you finally get in there. And then you have that higher ranking administrator who said what he said to me. You know, he might not have seen any evaluation I had in my clinical years. That's fine. But you know what? I I was right then, too. <laughs> I said, Let, get me into the clinical and I'll show you. I even had a professor of a class that I failed in my first year in medical school. He kind of looked at me and said, I don't know how you're going to survive this first year if this is, you know, the kind of grades you're capable of. And again, he probably didn't mean like I was going to be a failure in life. He just probably was just like, hey, you might you might wash out in medical school because medical school, you'll wash out five to 10% of that class that starts, you know? So they're probably talking at me from a statistical point of view, but I had the people in my life who wouldn't let me give up, who wouldn't let me take the easy way out, who, you know, when things got hard and, uh, there was one day in particular in med school that was the hardest day I've had. There was a day where our dean of clinical services pretty much told me I would have to repeat a lot of my second year. And I was devastated. You know, I, and I thought I was trying to get better. I thought I was trying to learn ways to improve, but it wasn't happening fast enough. And I thought I was going to, that was a very dark day. I remember that day very well. It was my friends. It was my family. It was my a, a best friend who I consider my brother who pretty much would not let me give up, you know, who pretty much said, look at how far you've come, even though it doesn't feel like you've survived. Yeah, you haven't survived medical school yet. You're in your second year, but you've come a long way and you can go the rest of the way. It's going to be the hardest fight you've had, but you can do it. So I needed to rely on a lot of people who believed in me. And then, and then it just had to be me seeing the results for myself. Once I saw having a little bit of passing tests then i was like all right now pass the next one and pass the next one and then when you get into family and then it was get to a, a, a competitive get to a great family medicine residency program that was hard it was hard to get into sparrow family medicine residency in lansing michigan it's one of the better family medicine residencies in the state they knew me because i was a third year med student that rotated in their program so they knew of me they knew what I was capable of doing, but they still, a lot of the faculty who didn't know me that well had their doubts because again, they're looking at me on paper and they're like, look at his scores. You know, do we want to take a chance on this guy? Well, I pretty much made them take me by doing a traditional rotating intern year and showing to them, hey, this is how I am as an intern. And I'm going to take my step three during my intern year. And I'm going to show you, I'm going to pass that on the first try. And I did. And again, probably not a big deal because everybody passes their step three on the first try, unless you don't, <laughs> you know, but I did. And they took me the following year. I, you know, it had worked out that I was in there. I was in there four that I was in there four DOs that they took. 
And then I think once I got into that program, the funny thing is, is anybody who has seen me get to a level after having some doubts when they don't know me and then they realize, and then they get to know me after a process, they realize that this guy is going to give you everything he has and he, and his knowledge is going to come out. You just have to give him the chance and you have to give him a chance to jump up off the paper and not look at him as a paper candidate, look at him as a person. So, and then it got finally, finally, at the end of all that comes applying to sports medicine fellowship. This is the first time in my life where I felt like I had an advantage on anybody because I was an athletic trainer. I was still a certified athletic trainer. Primary care sports med fellowships were seeing that this guy has, has been an athletic trainer at Division One level. He has rotated at all these amazing places in sports medicine. I had, by this time, I had rotated at Notre Dame. I'd rotated at the Andrews Institute in Florida for sports medicine. I had you know rotated with MSU Sports Medicine in Detroit at DMC, like this was the first time where I was like, finally, I look okay on paper, you know, and I might not get treated like the ugly stepchild finally on paper, you know, and it was nice to finally get interviews, a lot of interviews and and have a rank list, which is a big rank list instead of a small rank list. And, you know, and, and I finally, and I picked a program in Providence and Novi that gave me a lot. I wanted to go to a program that gave me a lot of autonomy that was going to throw me into a fire and say, here's the fire, figure it out. And that's exactly how I learned. You know, and that's exactly how I learned in residency. And that's exactly how I know I learn as a fellow. And that's exactly how I learn as an attending too, you know? So I kept going, even when I had every reason in the world to quit and stop and have it be not as ta- mentally taxing, physically ta- exhausting. And my point I'm trying to make for any student who's listening to this is, don't listen like again, and you've probably heard this on TV and you probably heard this in speeches, but really I look at me and hear me and understand that I'm the living embodiment of don't listen to what anybody tells you are your capabilities. Just believe in what your capabilities are. Okay. If you are happy not doing a fellowship, you don't want to do a fellowship. It might be too hard. It might be too competitive, whatever. And you are content and happy being a resident that comes out of your internal medicine residency or family medicine residency and you are fine and you are not going to have any regrets if you do not pass get into this fellowship that's fine and that is where you should be that is where you're content that and you're going to go and have a wonderful life as a as a physician that way but if you are going to have anything in your mind 10 years from now that said man I should have done that then that's enough that's enough of a reason to do it when I got done with my primary care sports medicine fellowship, I wanted to be a division one team physician. That was my goal. And that's a very hard thing to accomplish right out of fellowship to a program, to programs and schools that don't know you. So pretty much the, the people who get those division one team physician jobs out of fellowship are people who did their fellowship in that program. You know, so if Ohio State has an opening and Ohio State just trained an awesome fellow, Ohio State might take that fellow, you know, but for me, Coming out of a small fellowship program and wanting to be a Division One team physician, not affiliated with any university, I took the email. I I just started emailing programs around the Midwest. I emailed head team physicians. I emailed them my CV. I said, "Here's who I am. This is what I want to do. If you have a position or you can find a place for me, or if there's anything I can do or talk, I mean, please feel free to call me. Here's my cell phone number. Here's my CV. I think I sent out 15 emails like that toward the end of my fellowship. I got one response, which was from a guy who said, hey, I might have a position for you. 
I need help. Let me get back with you in, in one week. And that's all he wrote. He wrote a two-sentence email. That's all I needed. It was at that time the head team physician of Central Michigan. His name was Matt Jackson. He's a DO. And now he's a, and now he's a sports medicine doctor in Traverse City. But then one week went by and he said, and then again, I'm clinging to my email, hoping to hear from him. And he sends me another one sentence, two sentence email saying, hey, I just talked to my department chair. We might be able to figure something out. We're going to call you. And then I waited another two weeks and I got a call from that department chair. And we had an informal talk about what I was looking for. And again, both Dr. Jackson and this department chair said, look, if you need a job on July 1, right after fellowship is over, we won't have it for you. But if you want to wait a little bit to see if we can manifest a position to get you here so that you can help our only team physician and figure out where we're going to house you, it sounds like we might house you at student health 100% of the time, then we might be able to do that. So I said, okay, that's that's an avenue. So in that time, I'm interviewing at orthopedic surgery offices. I'm interviewing for outpatient sports medicine jobs that are eight to five, just so that I can hopefully find a job that'll pay money. You know, so I'm doing these things, knowing that this isn't, those aren't what I really want. And I'm trying to wait for this position at Central Michigan. And sure enough, uh, I, I met with them. I met with them multiple times, did a formal interview, applied, and I got, and again, it was, it was a position created because they had one primary care sportsman doc and he needed help. And he, he, he thought enough of me on my CV to say, this kid, this guy looks like he has some experience and he might be able to help me. And that's all I needed. I just needed to get my foot in the door in the division one team physician setting. And that's what got me to central Michigan. And then in five months after I start, he tells me he's leaving, <laughs> you know, Dr. Jackson. And boom, I'm the interim medical director and interim head team physician at Central Michigan of a Division One college right out of fellowship. Five months out of fellowship, I'm an interim head team physician, interim medical director. I am scared out of my mind. I am anxious. I am like, I am not ready for this. But like I said before, I've always been a better learner when you throw me into the fire. And that was me getting thrown into the fire of the Division One sports medicine world, the NCAA policies that exist for collegiate athletes, how to do the administrative side of being a team physician at Division One. So even though we were going to hire a head team physician eventually, and I was going to go back to being a regular team physician, like I had for about a year, I had to figure out, I had to figure it out. And luckily, I was able to rely on my network of mentors I had made. I was able to call people up and ask for help. So again, it went to back to betting on myself, but also I had my parents there every step of the way. I had my close friends who were like my family every step of the way. None of these people were going to let me fail and none of these people were going to let me get crippled under the weight of my anxiety and my stress. You know, I needed them there. It wasn't, it was never going to be just, this is me and I can take everything on on my shoulders. No way. I was, there were plenty of times where I could have said this is too much. So my uh, my advice, again, long-winded answer is bet on yourself and don't give up and then be your own best advocate, really. You know, U of M came to me here in July when I was looking for to kind of say, look, I know what I deserve in life and I'm going to find somebody who wants to give me what I think I deserve. And U of M had an opportunity at the time and I knew the head team physician and he had a position with football and and I said, hey, do you think I stand a chance for this? And he said, based on your experience, I think you'd be a tremendous candidate. But again, put your hat in the ring and see how you do. Well, 
I decided to apply. I, uh, I had a, they said, okay, do you want a phone interview? Because we have to know now this is the week we're doing phone interviews. <laughs> and I said, okay, yeah, I'll do a phone interview. I think they, they put me on as the last phone interview. And I don't know what I did. And I still think back to that phone interview that got me here. I don't know what I said. I have a hard time remembering what it is I must have said to impress these guys. But I, I phone interviewed with some pretty high ranking people here at Michigan in our sports medicine department, people who are now my colleagues. And I got a, I got a phone, I got a text message from the head team physician after my phone interview, one hour after it was over saying, you killed it. And we want to bring you on to campus next week. I was like, all right, okay. And then I was like, all right. So then I come on to campus the following week. And at the end of the interview, I said, okay, I need to know, I need, I need to let the place that I'm going to work know, like, Hey, well, when do you think after you're done with all your in-person interviews, when are you going to let somebody know? Well, he said, well, we only brought one person on for an in-person interview and we were going to offer him the job at the end of the day. If today went well, I was like, oh crap. <laughs> all right. So you're talking about me. And again, I'm saying this to you in jest, but I still have a hard time wrapping my head around it. I, I still am uh, in disbelief. But somebody once reminded me, one of my mentors just recently reminded me that everything that happened and a lot of the bad that I didn't even allude to, a lot of the bad things that happened around the time that I was looking for a job when I was looking at Central Michigan, you know, everything that happened happened for a specific purpose at a specific time when it was supposed to happen, not according to my timeline, not according to where I wanted to be. If you would have asked me, I would have been a team physician at Michigan State right out of fellowship. <laughs> um, that's not how life was supposed to go. That's not how the path was supposed to go. The path was supposed to take me to Central Michigan, where I could devote myself to that job and doing everything I could for those two athletes, so much so that a, somebody at Michigan noticed. <laughs> and that's what led me here, you know, so and then having the support and guidance of still my mentors at Michigan State when the OMM department and the sports medicine department, family medicine residency I was part of. So everything that happened happened for a reason. So again, in the whole med school process, the med students who are listening is, you know, you're going to encounter a lot more stressful times than good, you know, in this path. This is not a path that everybody can do. You know, if it was easy, everybody would be doing it. That's something that I always have to remind myself. And if being a doctor was easy, everybody would be a doctor. And if being a highly specialized surgeon was easy, everybody would be a highly specialized surgeon. If being a division one team physician in the big 10 was easy, everybody would be doing that too. You know, there'll be parts that are hard. There'll be parts where you'll only see all the bad and the stress and the darkness. But I challenge anybody just in, in your day. And I have to remind myself to do this too, is, Look at one thing you do in your day and look at one patient you might affect in a positive way. Look at one patient who says thank you for giving them an ankle exercise plan to do home exercises, something like that. And just think that they are more comforted because of the trust they put in you today and you were there for them today. So, and they counted on you today and you answered that call, you know. So, find one thing that gives you the reason to wake up and take on the next stresses the next day in the morning, then the next morning and take on the stresses of that day, take on the administrative hassles on that day, take on the administrators who you don't like on that day, <laughs> take on the colleagues who are bit, who are too much on that day. You know, we all have them take on the patients who are too much. Okay. And they still deserve your care too. So find one thing and keep on doing it. And again, when it gets hard, just don't give up. Never give up on what it is you want out of this career. 
you know, because I keep telling everybody asks me, would you do it all over again? And I say, no way. Are you are you kidding me? After everything I've been through, and and just I just told you about medical school in detail. Like, you think I want to do that again? No. This is the kind of thing that you can only do once. But when you're going to do it once, do it right. Do it the way you want to do it. Do it the way that you want to do it in your heart, not the way that anybody tells you it's supposed to go, and not the way that anybody tells you what your capabilities are. You know. So that'd be my big advice. There's a lot of people who are happy to see me on a sideline on TV, but. I think the people who are are the most excited for me are the people who knows how bad the bad times were for me. You know, Nasha, thank thank you so much for sharing your story. Thank you so much for sharing the hard times with us and your amazing career. I'm proud to be in the same profession and and call myself a Dia with you. And again, thank you for giving us the time tonight. Oh, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. This concludes our episode of Do or Do Not. Send all inquiries, comments, suggestions, and even let us know if there's someone you want us to interview to do or do not podcast at gmail.com. Don't forget to like us on Facebook at Do or Do Not Podcast for updates. If you enjoyed our podcast, please share it with your classmates and administration. We have plenty of more interviews lined up, and we're excited to share them with you. This is Tian Yu Shea. Thank you guys so much for listening to Do or Do Not.